Greetings, Amigops and Top Tenners everywhere. This is Mike from Top Ten with Kyle and Mike. I am joined this week, as I am every week, by our blue-shirted, blue-water-bottled, orange-watched co-host, Kyle. Kyle is here. He's ready to roll. He's ready to pod. We're going to talk about something, as we do every week. In fact, we're going to talk about a Top Ten topic. We are going to debate it vigorously, we're going to rank it, we're going to re-rank it, and then by the end of this episode, we will have a top 10 list of that thing. I don't know what we're talking about. I think Kyle does. I hope Kyle does. If he doesn't, this will be an all-time record for shortest episode. So, Kyle, what are we talking about this evening? Thank you, Michael, for that fantastic introduction. We are here to do a top 10 list today. Now, um... That was what I thought we were doing. That's great. Yeah. The thing about this list is that eagle-eared listeners will remember us talking about this list not all that long ago. So we did a Schitt's Creek episode like a few weeks ago, and we were discussing the Cafe Tropical, and we said, that's got to be a top 10 fictional restaurant. And normally when we do stuff like that, like if we ever do the list, we do it a long time in the future, but we usually forget (laughs) or we forget if we do it at all. But this time, as I was editing that podcast that came up and I was like, I'm going to jot some down. And then within like six minutes, I had a list of like almost 30 restaurants. So now we're doing the list. Uh, I have the list here. We're doing top 10 fictional restaurants. So I want to ask to well, I want to say one thing and then ask another thing. One is probably something I could have said off, off the air, but I just want to remember that I think we should do a drafting type episode uh, as we did with the Taylor Swift pod. I want us to remember to do that. So I'm going to say it so that the listeners will hold us accountable to do that because I loved that so much. Now, on to the actual topic at hand. Uh, you said restaurants. So diners, bars, bars and restaurants. What are we talking about here? All right. So I excluded bars that are like just bars for drinking. Okay. So So like if, if I could feasibly go and eat fish and chips up at the bar as my only reason for going to the place, like it could be included. But if this is just a drinks hangout. Yeah. Also like even at a place where like you in theory could eat, but like our, yeah. Our characters would never do that and like they just go okay. there to drink like it's a bar and so and that is also inclusive of like like uh well, you'll see like if you have to be able to like eat there for it to be considered. And there's a couple of restaurants here where like like I blurred the line and we can talk about the legitimacy of them. But I excluded places that are like pretty much purely drinking establishments. Including places where you drink purely hot beverages? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like a coffee shop. Yeah. But if it's like a cafe... There's there's differences. Like, I'm yeah. thinking of one particular coffee shop where there's a lot of food ordered, and I would say that's tough. That's definitely a restaurant, even though it's sometimes even referred to as the coffee shop, so... Okay. Well, as we go through it, we can, we can decide whether or not something counts. Um, yeah. But that was my general Beautiful. rule of thumb. I'm very into this. We're this is one of those ones that everybody's going to have an idea though and so we're going to be very wrong. Oh, absolutely. Like, we're going to be this will be one of those ones where we get a lot of correction. Oh, yeah, yeah. The the other thing is that like my ranking is like pretty arbitrary. Like I based it on like whether or not I would actually want to eat there. Also, whether or not like our like 
the amount of time that our characters spend in that place is important. Like, if it shows up in an episode or, like, it's a passing through, like, yeah. it's less on the list than if it's, like, a place where people hang out at a lot and we see a lot of it. Also, like, how closely it resembles an actual restaurant. Because, like, a lot of times... Oh, these are all great points. Because, yeah, because, like, in a lot of these cases, they're, like... They're great and they're worth an honorable mention, but they're intentionally spoofy and like they don't actually, they're not really a real restaurant type place. So like most of the places on this list like could exist in real life and I would want to eat there. So that's kind of the basis that I used uh, for this list. What a delight. What a true delight. And so with that out of the way, I will get started. Number 10 is one. So Allegis and I are redoing, not redoing. We are following up our Marvel movie marathon with our Pixar movie marathon. And Incredible. We're like, so it's coincidentally exactly 23 movies, just like Marvel. Well, I would, I would never have guessed that they had as many movies. Can you believe I that? I would have thought it was less. Yeah. Well, the 23rd one is coming out later this year. So there's 22 have been released. Is the 23rd one called Luca? No, the 23rd one is called Soul. It has Jamie Foxx. I think there's also one out coming out called Luca okay. from Pixar. Great. And it's a real disappointment for me because I wanted to name my firstborn Luca. And mm. Caroline tells me that it was already on kind of thin ice and now it's it's fallen through the ice because of that. Well, and Doncic, kind of. It would sound. It would seem like you were <sighs> naming your true. kid after a maverick. Should be a bummer. Right. Precisely. <laughs> so, anyways, the very, <laughs> the very first movie on our list was a, a delightful film called Toy Story. And... In Toy Story, a big part of the plot is that Andy and his mom and his sister actually visit an establishment called Pizza Planet, which <laughs> I have to say, like, would be a nightmare to go to as an adult, probably, with children. But, like, as a I I remember as a kid, like, desperately wishing that Pizza Planet existed, because it's, like, the coolest fucking place in the world for a kid. Like... Pizza and, like, space-related video games, there's no better place in the world for a child. I think the thing about Pizza Planet that distinguishes it from my real-life experience of places like this is that it seems like Andy and his family actually liked the pizza. It's actually entirely unclear. Yeah. <laughs> but but you're right. Like, it seems like they went there, like, with the intention of eating dinner also, whereas, like, right. if you were to go to, like, Chuck E. Cheese's, you would just assume you weren't going to eat. <laughs> right. Like, when I went to Bonkers, like, <laughs> the, the pizza was either, so the pizza was one of two things, either disgusting, or it was brought in from off-site to the birthday room. So you remember yeah. how all these places would have, like, the weird little birthday room? Yes. Like, sometimes people would get Papa Gino's, and then it was good because it was Papa Gino's. But I remember Chuck E. Cheese actually had their own pizza. Um, and, oh, boy, that was that was awful. But Pizza Planet does not have that problem. It doesn't seem that way. They do have delivery. We do know that. They definitely like have delivery. If you think about it this way, it's, it's good enough pizza that they have people getting it without the experience. That's a really good point. Like, no one in their right mind would be like, let's get a pie from Chuck E. Cheese's delivered. Unless, of course, they had been smoking a lot of marijuana. Yeah. that There's an there's an example where, like, a bunch of 
goofball stoners like there's a Seth Rogen movie like get him to the cheese where they have to oh, like let's get some chunky cheese <laughs> yeah that scenario is possible I guess but like nobody in their right mind is intentionally getting the cheese without some tokens involved it seems like that might be the case at Pizza Planet too. like based on the fact that the driver is like very obviously stoned he's like at the yes. gas station when they get into the the truck he's like yo man do you know how to <laughs> he's, a- <laughs> he's a very 90s parody of what like one of them stonerific yeah. is like the pizza planet truck also shows up often in other pixar films that like- i think is the first one that they use as an easter egg right like i think that was their first thing that they put somewhere else that and the dinoco sign like the um like yes the, the gas station is called dinoco and that shows up in a bunch of places but like in monsters inc at the very end when randall gets uh trapped in that trailer park or the trailer that he's near where they think he's a gator that got in the house the pizza planet truck is parked outside yeah, yeah. Which, which is very like a florida man that's unquestionably in florida mama yeah. another gator got in the house <laughs> give me that shovel <laughs> well i forgot about that whole sequence it's, yeah I, pizza planet though is is um you're right it, it was a place that i frequently dreamed of as a kid like i really wanted this to exist and i don't think it's fair but just because we are 27 or whatever, however the hell old we are, yeah. we forget what it was to be young. As Dumbledore teaches us, it would be a mistake for us to forget that. I think he's talking about Pizza Planet specifically. Probably. I imagine that he liked Pizza Planet back when he was, you know, a young man of 60 or 70. <laughs> Anyways, so that's number 10, Pizza Planet. Number 9. This vaults up onto this list, probably surprisingly to, to some... But it's so char- it's such a charming establishment, or rather its employees are extremely charming. I'm talking about the I feel like it only exists in malls, uh, Scoops Ahoy from Stranger Things season three. So yeah. for those of you who haven't seen Stranger Things three, we'll try to keep it spoiler free because Scoops Ahoy ends up being like pretty integral to the plot. Like shockingly integral to the plot. <laughs> but it what it seems like the ice cream is of decent quality there. What really brings it home for me is like the fact that Steve has to wear that uniform and the hat and it that alone makes it feel like very lived in and very 80s and very real to me, which I really enjoy. Yeah, yeah to- I think I do think one thing that's important for uh, all these restaurants is how it sort of complements the tone and plot of the story it's in. And I think that Scoops Ahoy was a really good natural addition to the world of Hawkins. Hawkins, right? Hawkins, Hawkins, Indiana. Yeah. The world of Hawkins, while also kind of helping set the new aesthetic of that season, because it was the it was the first one that was outside of sort of the Halloween-y, right? Like, I think season two was Halloween as well, right? It may have been. But season three was was decidedly Fourth of July. Like that was the point. Was this is the summer season, yeah. and I think that Scoops Ahoy felt like it it flowed from that same world, but but helped set that aesthetic, and it was hugely complimentary to that season. Yeah, it was like Steve and like some of the other characters had like summer jobs, and I feel like the fact that they weren't in school really contributed to the like the summer camp thing with Dustin. You're right, and like the Scoops Ahoy aesthetic really reinforces that. Yeah, I also think that it's important that um, 
Well, two things. One, I want to note that the real life actors portraying our two most notable Scoops of Hawaiian plays are of age. So I just want to say that ahead of time. That is the most <laughs> improbably good looking uh, ice cream establishment <laughs> staff of all time. <laughs> one of them has the best hair this side of the Mississippi, and the other one looks just like Uma Thurman. Right. <laughs> Yeah. So that definitely gives them some bonus points. Yeah, they're like they're playing at like a Hagen Dazs level staffing ability. Like <laughs> Yes. Yeah, they shouldn't be able to get like people that good looking. You would hope that it would be a little bit like when D- Dunder Mifflin goes to the career fair and they get like the C list. Just in case. Just in time. Like you would expect that would be who they would scoops a hole would hire, but apparently not. I guess they couldn't get that actor. No. <laughs> yeah, he's not well. No, I probably think. Not. He might not be working. <laughs> we, we do not know that actor. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so that was number nine. That was Scoops Ahoy. Great pick. I just it was like a, a closing word. I think that ice cream looks terrific too. Yeah, as I recall, like it looked really good. I like their protocol. Uh, closing remarks on this one. Yeah, Aaron told me about a podcast. I don't remember what it's called. Let me see if I can find it very quickly here probably can't but it was a it's like a netflix produced podcast and they just kind of like go into their shows and explain how they were made oh oh yeah you know what it's called behind the scenes they changed the descriptive they changed the artwork because now they're doing umbrella academy but if you go back there's like three or four really great episodes about stranger things and one of them is about like how they created the mall and all the stores that are inside it. And it's fascinating. Some lady, some poor lady spent like weeks making a candle store, like full of like unique candles. And then there's no shots of it in the actual show. But like there's the whole point is that like that kind of like attention to detail went into it and it's worth a listen. That's really cool. That's like the, uh, the Harry Potter studios kind of deal where you're like, I didn't realize why this felt so real. Yes. But it's because of all of the TLC. Yeah. You can't see it, but like the attention to detail that they put into the scoops Ahoy space is why that felt as real as we're talking about. Yeah. Anyways, totally. scoops it's time Ahoy. For, now it's time for number eight. This one probably just as easily could be on the not top three, but it represents a very, one of my favorite scenes in all of moviedom. I am talking about shake. We, this is the restaurant where Ferris Bueller and friends have lunch uh, and eat pancreas in Ferris Bueller's day off. Now, <laughs> I don't think I'd really want to eat at this restaurant for lunch because it's very snooty, snotty. And they look down on Ferris and, and company when they <laughs> assert that they are uh, Abe Froman, the sausage king of Chicago. But that scene is like, it's not a long scene. But it's like the perfect, to me, it's like the perfect way to showcase each of the characters, like how they, how they are like Ferris being as bold as he is Sloan saying like, I don't know about this. And Cameron saying, we need to get the fuck out of here. Like you see the full spectrum of like their, their trio. And I just think Ferris is really charming in this whole sequence. So that is why I picked Shake Wee. Well, it's a really important scene in the movie. I'm trying to remember. So what happens right before this? They might they might come from the Cubs game and they go here. But Cameron is still really nervous about his dad's car, which they've dropped off at the parking garage. And then at the end of this scene is when they run into his dad is at the restaurant. Right. And they have and to dance when, around him. 
Sloan blows them the kiss. They take yeah. the cab. It's it's just like I think it's an important scene because it's sort of um, it's when the stakes of being in Chicago kind of become obvious. Yeah, because right. like this day could really go wrong at this point. But I love. I just love how perfectly it, it encapsulates a snooty but kind of gr- like not very good restaurant because there's something about there's like there's four quadrants right there's snooty and good not snooty and bad snooty and bad not snooty and good right. and i think probably the best is not snooty and good yes but this one perfectly captures like snooty and probably not very good like you get a dry piece of like you know baked haddock or like kind of a really stiff little steak or something kind of, and like a salad that's kind of wilting it just looks like the place that your retired grandparents go down in you know del boca vista it also seems like well the fact that abe froman is eating there kind of negates my point here but it feels like almost tourist trappy like it looks fancier than it actually is. Although in this case, yes. it seems like it may actually be quite fancy if Abe is eating there. But I don't know. I know, but I think, but I think you're getting at the right thing, which is that it's supposed to convey like how lame the convention of what's good and what isn't is, which I think is a big part of this movie. Like, you know, Ferris is against isms and he's definitely against consumerism. And this whole thing is like about, wanting to go to this cool restaurant because it's cool but it's actually not that good and the joy of going to the restaurant for our three protagonists is getting away with being there not actually being there like actually being there isn't fun yeah the joy is and i love this about ferris is that like at, at some point it's not even about eating there it's just about like showing up this snooty guy that's trying to turn them away yes he fun. says that, right? He says like it's like, uh, but I am not gonna let this guy. One, win. you can never too, you can never go too far. Two, if I'm gonna be busted, it's not gonna be by a guy like that. Yeah, that's what it is. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah, so that's a, maybe a bit of a homer pick because we've decided. That no, we- but I think, but I think it's it, it's definitely heavy on the importance to the movie point. It's less on the good point, but it's very important to that whole movie. Inc- yeah, very much so. Yeah, so that's shake we. This is typically the point where we do the not top three. I think we should. And it's perfect timing because I think Caroline got food poisoning last night. Oh. So let's throw it to the, those, re- those fictional restaurants that are going to give you food poisoning. All right. Thanks, Kev. One of these, you could almost definitively will get food poisoning there. Two of them are just... Again, probably you wouldn't want to eat there, but not because the food is terrible. So the third one on my list is tchotchkes from Office Space. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) it's the one, the only thing that tchotchkes has going for it is that they employ Jennifer Aniston's character, which I'll eat at any restaurant where Jennifer Aniston is serving. So this is this is the flare place, right? Yeah, where you have to have like ten pieces of flare, and <laughs> it's like <sighs> it's basically supposed to be like a TGI Fridays or a Chili's, but like way worse. I have to imagine that for people who have actually worked in a place like that, that this is truly PTN- PTSD inducing. Yes, it just looks awful. And for me, this is so uh, this so perfectly captures the early stage of my career i think i mentioned to you before that i worked my first job like right out of school was at an office outside of the city 
And I told my parents in the first week, like, oh, just because I was living at home at the time. I was like, hey, just so you know, I'm going to be a little bit late coming back. Um, I'm going out for drinks after work. They're like, oh, that's great. Where are you going? It's like, I'm going to Chili's. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, I, I know we've talked about this before, but there's some things that kind of you get much more as you get older. <laughs> yeah. And the humor of Chachki's in office space became a lot more real <laughs> to me after that. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. When you get old enough... So it's definitely effective plot-wise, but so bad restaurant-wise that it has to be on the not tops. Yeah, for sure. The The weird thing is, like, in my experience, if you look at the holy triumvirate of, like, terrible restaurants that fall into this category of TGI Fridays, Applebee's, and Chili's, if you, if you talk to the average person, they despise two of those restaurants and love the third, somehow. Like, for me... I've never had a bad experience in an Applebee's. Like, I, I enjoy eating at an Applebee's. It's actually good. So, like, I am I don't <laughs> know when I became too snooty to go there, but I'm definitely too snooty to go there. But it's good. Yeah. And every time I go, it's good. No, I, I, I fucking love an Applebee's. But, I, but, like, for even though it's the same goddamn restaurant, if someone's like, what about Chili's? I'm like, ugh. It's that Drake, yeah. uh, that Drake meme where I'm like, no to, yeah. the, no to Chili's. <laughs> yes. But Applebee's, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing. So, yeah, that's tchotchkes. The second yeah. one uh, is similar to our uh, Pizza Planet restaurant, but much, much, much worse. And clearly parodying uh, Chuck E. Cheese's is Chipmunk Charlie's from Role Models. <laughs> we are the ass butt butt ass chipmunks. <laughs> I like Ronnie's version better. I, like how I do it, too. I like how it evokes ass and butt. <laughs> yeah. Enough said. This is a nightmare. If you, dear listener, have still not seen role models, now is the time. Now is the time. And and so is tomorrow and the next day and yesterday. I love Any time models. is the time. Yep, so that's that's number two. The last one is uh, the chum bucket. <laughs> I feel like the chum bucket is a good place to go if you actually want to get sick. If you If you have a big presentation at work tomorrow that you need to get out of and you think people will know you're you're full of it, go to the chum bucket. I actually had a dream last night. So I, I think I told you I had McDonald's for the first time in a while oh, like last week. Good for you. It was, it was truly, truly delightful. I think the last time I had it was with you on a road trip somewhere. But I had a dream last night that I got it again. And I ordered a hamburger. And I guess there was some sort of confusion because I was eating it. I was like, man, this is so dry. And I looked closer and it uh -oh. was like a stack of 100 slices of ham in a burger and it was so telling so awful so telling that that's your nightmare <laughs> yeah yes it's definitely snooty that's a snooty ass nightmare because i'm like no <laughs> processed meats <laughs> this isn't even but deli yes, ham <laughs> it wasn't no it was awful it's just terrible <laughs> it was like curling up at the edges uh, that is pretty gross yeah, not good. Uh, but yes, Chum Bucket is a great pick. And the thing with the Chum Bucket is that, like, in addition to probably experiencing poor service and not getting good food, you're, like, there's a non-zero percent chance that you'll be incorporated into some kind of evil scheme. Like, you may be forced to undergo mind control. Yeah, I was gonna say, you probably are gonna be lobotomized. Yeah, something bad could happen to you aside from your dining experience. Yeah, this is, like, the Chum Bucket is basically that, that shack in Shutter Island where people go and never come back out of. 
but with bad food. Right. <laughs> also, it's underwater, so if you're an above-ground kind of mammal type, you will drown. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's true. Unless you have, like, a yeah. spacesuit. Yeah, in which case, there has to be an airlock, because you still need to get this, <laughs> like, so- this sopping wet burger that's, like, in the water into your suit without releasing the lock, right? Yeah, because your suit. Because not only does your suit have to keep the <laughs> the water out for breathing purposes, but it has to be appropriately pressurized. Yeah, otherwise you'd be compressed into oblivion. Yeah, there's like a lot of issues. This would be tough. So maybe it's something you want to get delivery. Get Uber Eats of yeah. Chum Bucket if you need to straight get food to your poisoning. tree dome. The yeah. last one I thought of just now is the Krusty Burger, which I'm pretty sure serves roadkill. Oh, I think they do. I actually am pretty sure that there's skunks in there. I'm pretty sure there's a level in Simpsons Hit and Run. Yeah, there is. Where Cletus and you pick up Roadkill because he sells it for like $5 a pound to Krusty Burger. You're, yep, that is that is a level and I remember it and it's amazing. Yeah. I love Cletus. I love his tobacco plant. <laughs> <sighs> do you have any more for the not top three? Um, I want to just uh, nominate one. Um. I want to nominate the Dream Cafe from Seinfeld. Mm. So this is, um, so this is the one where uh, Babu Bot is going to yes. open a restaurant, <laughs> and Jerry is trying to help him. Now, I just want to say the Dream Cafe is maybe not the first show to do this joke, but it's definitely not the last because I've seen this joke stolen by other restaurants which is that they're trying to do way too much it's the same joke about the tropicale in schitt's creek they use it on new girl but the dream cafe has like american chop suey hot dogs some indian food it's like all over the map and jerry suggests that babu bot do authentic i think he's pakistani food i want to say pakistani and so he encourages him. He's like, listen, you're trying to do too much. Like, do your own thing. And it ends up driving Babu Bot out of business. It's just a you're total a bad disaster. Man, Jerry. Very, he gives him the finger wag. <laughs> oh, it's just, it's amazing. It's That's a whole great sequence because George is trying to cheat on the SAT mm-hmm. or an IQ test or something. That's right. And Elaine tries to take a forum, gets mustered on the test. Magnificent. But yeah, the Dream Cafe is just awful. Good pick. Yeah. Number seven. Number seven is maybe a little low in retrospect. Number seven is JJ's from Parks and Rec. JJ, Interesting. JJ's. I'm going to have to see some serious stuff from six to one. Yeah, I know that you are a big fan of JJ's, as is Leslie Nope and JJ's Waffles. So why don't you go ahead? Tell us about JJ's. Well, JJ's is great because you kind of have two things going for it. One is clearly you have the quality of the food. But I think much more importantly is sort of the family atmosphere that they've curated there because J.J. himself is actually a staple of the show. And it's an actor you recognize. He's been in a ton of movies, but he's most notably for our generation, the dad from the 13th year. Of course. Of course. And he, so he's like <laughs> actually in a bunch of the, the episodes. He's also a fairly significant uh, storyline late in the show. So it definitely like the thing about JJ's is that it it conveys how delicious their sweet for Leslie and savory for Ron dishes are. But I think more importantly, it captures the essence of what makes a small town diner so good. Like a diner is a diner. And yes, there are some that are better than others at, you know, kind of frying an egg. 
but ultimately you're getting the same kind of stuff. Yeah. What it is is like how warm is it? How nice is it? And and I think JJ's is is pretty pretty top notch on that. It reminds me of a restaurant we used to go to all the time after church when I was a kid called Ken's. And like my cousin Adam worked there for a long time as a fry cook. And Ken was always there and he like knew you and he'd say hi and like just walk around and like greet people. And it reminds me a lot of JJ's. That's delightful. I remember the, there was a place that John and I and my grandfather and I used to go that went out of business, but it was like one of the first places where I really had that experience. And I remember how crushed I was. Like, yes, their stuffed French toast was off the heezy, but that wasn't what I cared about. I, it was just like cool to go and know the people there and have it be our place. Exactly. So yeah. this one maybe moves up a little bit when we re-rank, but yeah, but I, I do think, I do think that the thing about JJ's is it's, Except for like a little bit late in the show, it's not, it's not crucial to the plot of the show, but it is really important, as we've talked about before, in sort of world building and establishing sort of what Pawnee is. So it's a little bit of a funky one where it's not plot important, but it is very tone important. Yeah, agreed. Uh, all right, number six. This one is called El Jefe. It's from the movie Chef. With John Favreau and Scarlett Johansson, and like John Leguizamo is in it. Uh, also, so Sofia Vergara. Yep, that's right. Robert Downey Jr. is in it for like six minutes. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Gary Clark Jr. Oh yes, he's very much in it. So yep. This first of all, this movie is fucking fantastic, and I think it's everyone on should watch it. Just watch it. We watched it. Yeah. Last summer when Ian was in town and. The quality of the movie was so good that and we watched it on a Friday night and we were like, we have to get a Cuban today. I had the exact same experience. I like I got my I had never had a Cuban before. I got one like two days later. That's shocking. It's kind well, of sad. It's because yes. of the ham. It's because the ham. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like the fact that this movie like so acutely created in me this craving for a specific kind of food really speaks to how good the movie was and how real the and it's not even like there's a restaurant in the beginning of the movie and then there's a restaurant at the end of the movie but like this is specifically the food truck that i'm talking about that's what i was gonna ask i wanted to make sure i was remembering correctly that el jefe was the food truck i think he ends up naming his actual restaurant el jefe also but i'm talking about the food truck because like there's nothing better than getting a good sandwich or a good whatever from a food truck and it's a different kind of dining experience than most of these other places and i don't know it just i I love that movie and the specific, like, the fact that, like, they had such a huge following and people were lining up to get it all the time makes me think that, like, of the food we're talking about on this list, like, his Cuban sandwich might be the best food of any of the places we're going to talk about. So I have a couple things I want to say about this. One is I totally agree. Like, I think it's, it's definitely the best food we've gotten so far. Second is I think... Based on the creative freedom granted to kind of owner slash chefs in food trucks, food trucks are some of the best, most exciting food that I eat. Like for me, yes, I just am not as excited to go to a fancy restaurant and get, you know, any of the dishes I mentioned earlier about Chez uh, Cui. Like that's just not how I like to dine. And food trucks have the kind of freedom to give you something for like nine to sixteen dollars that taste wise is worth 10 times that so i'm very pro food truck but i think this whole movie 
in my opinion, really depends on us believing that the food is that good. Because the concept of artist is stifled by system. Artist gets burnt out by system. Artist reconnects to thing about craft that they really loved. Artist creates something truly original, heartfelt, new, woohoo, is a movie plot line that has been done many, many times. And just like we were talking recently with Bill about sports movies, it's not so much about being original as it is about doing it with really high quality. And so I think we're all pretty familiar with the arc that um, that um, John Favreau's character takes from other movies. But part of why it's so effective is because we really believe in his craft. And that's thanks largely to El Jefe. Yeah, well put, Michael. That is exactly why that movie works and exactly why the very next day me and Ian got our asses some Cuban sandwiches. Oh, with the good with the good mustard too. The mustard is key. So oh. key. And we were lucky oh. enough we went to this really good restaurant called Ninety Miles and they serve their Cubans with big plantain chips. Oof. Oh, I love plant God, I love plantain chips. Mm. If you haven't seen Chef, now's the time, people. And guess what? This is not one of those situations where we have to present like demographic caveats. Old, young, male, female, whatever. You are going to like this movie. And if you don't, I think you really need to look inside yourself. You (laughs) might be a Krabby Patty. Yeah. (laughs) So that brings us to number five, the top half of the list. Number five is a restaurant we've already talked about a few times called the Cafe Tropical. Now, it's worth noting probably that like of the restaurants we're going to talk about this one probably has the worst food like twilight she says she's bringing david or somebody some mozzarella sticks and she says to them like you're going to want to finish those here um they don't travel well <laughs> even taking them from the kitchen to here they don't look so great <laughs> <laughs> i forgot about that uh, she's so good her line readings are some of the best on that show She's brilliant, yeah. but she's also, like, why, again, why Twyla is such an important part of this show is because, like, her demeanor and her aura in the cafe, like, that welcoming kind of communal space that JJ's is similar to, yeah. is what makes the show, and what we always joke about is, like, where we think, like, we know there are other restaurants in Pawnee, it seems like Cafe Tropical is the only dining establishment in all of Shit's Creek. So it's a very it important probably place. is. <laughs> I think it's I think it's not even arguable. It's definitely more important to Shit's than JJ's is. Like it's it's really kind of in some ways the heart and soul of the show, uh, obviously in addition to the motel. But I think I would ask a question that I think the answer is obvious that I'm even asking it. But like, could you imagine when you first started watching the show, the first time they walked in that towards the end of the show <laughs> that you would have some of the most important moments of that entire show happen there? Like that whole the the, the last dinner with Ted, like, like, is that even fathomable for you when you first see it? Like, it seems like it's just a joke, but then it's it's not. It's so much more. No, it seems like, it seems at first glance to be the kind of place that's necessary. Like, like just from a plot perspective, like, you need to have a place like that where people can interact that's not the motel because that's also where they live, which, like, yeah. they still do a lot of that. But, like, the Cafe Tropical serves basically a, a an important plot function, but it's also much more than that. So, 
yeah, I don't know. Like again, the food there is terrible. So, but I think I think that I would still be seen there all the time if I lived in Schitt's Creek just out of necessity because you know there's nowhere else to eat. If you want to socialize, like if you're running for town council, you know if you think you're going to unseat Ronnie, like you better be pressing the flesh at that at the Cafe Tropical. So that's the Cafe Tropical. Beautiful. Number four. Number four is a chain of restaurants. I think it's the only chain we have here. Oh, I think I know what this one is. <laughs> well, I guess Scoops Ahoy is maybe a chain. But uh, number four is a chicken establishment that's prominent in the American Southwest called Los Pollos Hermanos. <laughs> so the thing about Pollos Hermanos is it has, pr- as I'm looking at this list, I think it has the most well-established brand of any of these like i as i'm as i'm talking to you right now i can picture the chickens like leaning against each other and it's just it's the amount of detail that went into creating this restaurant is just real i mean it's it's clearly consistent with everything about that show but it's cool that it's lived on so far beyond that show it's even if you ignore like the actual you know plot importance it's had a pretty serious cultural impact well yeah like the fact that you can imagine the logo so well is not because it's like shown so often in the show it's because you've seen it on t-shirts and shit since then Mm -hmm. i think it's great because it really like especially more in better call Saul, no spoilers or anything but like there are like it it functions like a fast food restaurant and like specifically like gus has to be a fast food like manager and that's partly what makes his character so good is that he's a very believable <laughs> owner shockingly believable, proprietor actually yeah like a realistic proprietor of a, a fast food chicken restaurant i don't know it's it's just a really fully realized location and it's cool because all the reasons we just talked about i don't know if there's much more to be said than that well, I would just say, like, f- from a um, a Gus point of view, one thing that I, it's funny, my dad was just telling me today that he watched, and I, I guess we'll go into spoilers on uh, Breaking Bad, but he was just mentioning that he watched an episode of Breaking Bad where Gus commits an act of violence, and he was describing the routine sort of leading up to that, and I said to my dad, like, isn't it funny that he did the exact same thing he does when he puts on and takes off his Poyos Hermanos uniform? And he was like, whoa, you're so right. And I think it's it's interesting, particularly early on in kind of getting to know Gus, that those mannerisms that he carries into his work at Poyos Hermanos really kind of carries over to his work as the head of a huge drug empire. <laughs> and it's a really cool way of demonstrating that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's also cool that the Poyos Hermanos, like, namesake ends up being kind of explained in more detail. Like, from a historical perspective, it's also important to the show. Very, Um, yes. (laughs) That is number four. That's Los Poyos Hermanos. And then I'll wait on honorable mentions. Um, I've got, like, way too many, so I'll, I'll just let you rattle yours off while we're done here, and I'll fill in the gaps. How's that sound? Number three... I, t- I tinkered with this one being number one, but ultimately it doesn't check the box that it's a realistic restaurant in some ways that we will discuss. I'm talking about the Krusty Krab from SpongeBob SquarePants because I think like from a 
this is the restaurant out of all of these that allows the show to explore the most plot points that are specifically related to the business of running a restaurant. Like there's an episode where they decide to keep it open for 24 hours. There's an episode where like they drop a patty behind the grill and they have to salvage it. There's an episode where like they, they (laughs) host a talent show. That's so gross. I forgot about that. (laughs) There's an episode where uh, they dabble in delivery and pizza even for that matter. Like, there's an episode, for like, for pretty much every scenario you could imagine for a restaurant, there's an episode where Squidward converts it into, like, a fancy restaurant, like, uh, to impress some friends. Like, in any scenario where Anybody you could imagine... Anybody in particular? Oh, uh... Oh, what's his name? Squilliam Fancyson, right? <laughs> Patrick, can you take hands... Or take coats and hats like a civilized person? You mean like a weenie? <laughs> May I take your hat, sir? <laughs> Like, there are no other restaurants on this list that explore the ins and outs of being a restaurant. Like, there's an Employee of the Month episode. There's a promotion episode. Like, there's all these different things that are so restaurant-specific. The only detraction is that, like, it's literally under fucking water. And it's so, therefore, it's, like, not quite a realistic restaurant. But there's a really great episode where they have to update it and they... There's even an episode where they turn it into a TGI Fridays and Squidward has to wear flair. <laughs> But I'm thinking of another one where they're really slow on business and some guy like crawls into the restaurant and he's like, food, water, and like, quick, get this guy a hamburger. And he looks around. What is this place? Underwater themed? (laughs) Then he leaves the restaurant going, food, water, atmosphere. (laughs) For those reasons, I think the Krusty Krab is one of the greatest fictional restaurants ever. It just loses some points for realism, that's all. Yeah, I think that's... I, I think you're right on in all counts there. That's the Krusty Krab, that's number three. Now, number two, I think, might get in on a bit of a technicality. We can discuss the legality of it. I think if it's eligible for the list, it belongs this high. Uh, number two is the Leaky Cauldron. That's in London. Is it in London? Now, I heard that there's some rules about the speed with which you eat your food. (laughs) Well, that's the other thing is like the food here is terrible, specifically the pea soup. The pea Uh, soup is is world renowned for reasons (laughs) that it shouldn't be. (laughs) You got to make sure you eat the pea soup before it eats you. Uh, Our local tour guide tells us what's so great about the Leaky Cauldron is that like as much as Cafe Tropical is the center of Schitt's Creek and JJ's kind of serves as like a a cultural watering hole for our characters like the leaky cauldron is literally the nexus point between our two worlds and so is extremely important and it's like kind of a it's also a a bar and a hotel and it's like a kind of just like a stopping off point before you hit diagon alley but like it is a restaurant and so i think it qualifies and it's a very very important restaurant for many reasons yeah, I completely agree. I think I don't think of this as a restaurant first. Right. So it's like a little bit of a funky one. But I think your point is is important, especially in the movie, because my recollection and maybe this is just my recollection, because I, I do know that the first movie was really faithful to the first book. But from a sort of emphasis point of view, I feel like the this sort of I magic moment occurred more fully in the Hagrid arrives at the shack in the book. Whereas in the movie, that moment really occurs in the leaky cauldron. 
Um, and it becomes a really important part of that movie, uh, even though plot wise, you know, it's just a way station. You know, nothing crazy happens there other than Harry hearing about Voldemort and meeting Professor Quirrell. There's no big fight. It's just this this really important change. It's the place where he crosses the threshold from, you know, just Harry to the boy who lived. Well, and it's where it becomes legit, because like even in the book, like when he leaves with Hagrid, there's like still a piece of him and the reader that's like, this guy could just be a loon and could be like an isolated yeah. kind of weird thing. But like when he gets to the Leaky Cauldron, it's clear like this is now like, like we can buy into this and this is legit. Yeah, people are stirring their soup with just their fingers. and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's great. I always think of it when I think of the Leaky Cauldron, I think of the scene in Azkaban where... Uh, Mr. Weasley grabs Harry and kind of like walks him around and explains to him why he can't go looking for Sirius Black. And Harry's like, why would I go looking for Sirius Black? Anyways. Uh, no, no reason. Nothing at all. Can't think of reason why you would, Harry. But that's what I always think of it. And like in that scene specifically, it does feel like kind of more of like a, a restaurant vibe. It's a stretch. Yeah. But I No, but it's, I don't it's not a stretch. It's not a stretch totally because I do think it's a little bit unfair that the Harry Potter places get somewhat penalized, I think, for being very bar and coffee shop centric because there's like Madame Puttyfoot's, there's the Hogshead, the Three Broomsticks. Like there's a lot of pretty memorable, you know, eating and drinking establishments, but they're all sort of multi-purpose. True. And I feel pretty comfortable giving this a spot that it's that's like a little bit like even Florian Fortescue's. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of Ooh. places to go eat and drink that are just a little bit funky and i think especially in prisoner of azkaban this sort of acts as a stand-in for both you know in the book it's him spending time at florian fortescue's in the movie it's really just him hanging around at um the leaky cauldron and i think it it does it does a lot of work in establishing what it's like to be in a sort of bar hotel place that that in the movie's is left really to that one spot. I, whereas in the books, you get it from a lot of different places. Yeah. So I, I'm good with it. That was a long and confusing way of saying, I think that this does a lot of work and Harry Potter deserves to be on the list. I'm just now realizing that part of the reason I'm so comfortable with it is because at, at Universal, you <laughs> can eat at the Leaky Cauldron. Like you can eat a meal there. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we had lunch there when we were there. I'll take it. Yeah. I'll take the lot. I wonder if you know what number one is. I mean, I think I do. I wonder. Number one is number one for me because it's the kind of, like, the way that our characters interact there is the way I want to be at a restaurant of this type someday. Like, I, if I could pick any of these restaurants to exist and for me to occupy it in the same way that our heroes do, it would be this one. I'm talking about Monk's Cafe from Yeah, uh, that's what I, I mean, I was hoping this was number one. Yeah, this like, is, I, this is. The most important setting in television history. Full yeah, stop. It's way up there. The, I don't think it's arguable that it's way up there. I think you could argue that it's like the most important. If you ask Allegis, she'll tell you that one of my life's ambitions is to be a regular at a diner. Like, I yeah. want to be able to go somewhere and know that I'm going to sit in the same spot and be able to order the same thing and just make it a habit. And that is why it's so cool in Seinfeld, because they're always fucking there. And like, like the Krusty Krab, it's our gateway into a lot of like food and restaurant related plot points and humor, but it's also like the leaky cauldron and cafe Tropical and JJ's 
like a, a cultural kind of like mood setting loca- locale as well. It's kind of the best of both worlds. And it's also like perfect encapsulation of the show's mission statement, which is that it's about nothing. Right. And there's no better nothing than people just talking at a dinner table. I mean, you know what? There's a little bit of a meta thing happening here. That's why we started this podcast. True. Is because we always enjoyed talking with us and our friends at dinner in college. That was the whole point was like, hey, you know, I bet some people might find that interesting to hear what we have to say because we like talking about random shit at dinner. That's Seinfeld. The entirety of Seinfeld is like, what do people sitting at a diner talk about? And it's like, salsa why isn't salsa on more you know places and what's going on with the buttons on your shirt like it's just shit and that's what monks is for that show yeah no it's beautiful and like from a food perspective it seems like just like we were saying before like it's just diner food but like i think the my favorite thing about it is that elaine has the big salad and like (sighs) because every diner has like a very nondescript like dumb thing that is just like your thing to get I think the big salad is like one of the greatest like devices of that whole show because it like makes it makes monks feel very like average and plain and like nondescript but also specific to a way like it's wonderful. It also it just like there's just so many things about it that are so memorable. Like there's the one where George gets his soup has a bunch of rubber bands in it and like he knows that that means that I forget what the guy's name is, but that means so and so is working today because he has rubber bands in there. And there's the episode where George orders. The, the instead of getting tuna on toast, he gets chicken salad on rye because he's going to do the opposite. And then there's the episode where Elaine ends up with Bizarro, Jerry, and the Bizarro crew at the other restaurant and tries to order a big salad. And the woman's like, we could bring you two regular yeah. size salads. <laughs> like, just a there's big all that. bowl. Yeah. And then there's like all of the times when they go other places, like when Jerry ends up at Mendy's with Banya. And then, you know, they go to the Chinese restaurant, like, all of those restaurant experiences oh, yeah. play off of what happens at Monks. It's just, oh, it's just brilliant. Like, I can picture so many of the best moments of that show. Like, when Elaine has the Can You Spare a Square showdown with Jerry's girlfriend, I can picture her taking her revenge at Monks when she runs out of the bathroom with the toilet paper under her arm. Like, I can picture Jerry and George getting overheard by the woman from the, you know, the NYU newspaper thinking that they're gay. And... It's, it's just like it all happens there. It's so great. Yeah, it's, in my opinion, a clear number one. Yeah, totally agreed. All right, Mike, what did I miss? So I got a couple. Um, uh, Ratatouille, the restaurant from the end of Ratatouille. I think, right? It's called, I think that's well, what they call it at the end. The, the restaurant where he works during the movie is called Gusto's. Do they change the but name? But don't, the then end? don't they start a new restaurant? Or they that sounds familiar. We haven't gotten to Ratatouille I, yet. I th- whatever it could be Gusto's. Whatever, like that. That was a very memorable, important restaurant. Yeah. One that's also uh, important, but I don't know that the f- you can tell that the food is so good. Though you do hear, I think the veal is good. Is Louis from uh, The Godfather, mm. which is where they have the big showdown with McCluskey and the Turk. So I would say spoiler alert, but if you don't know, then fuck screw you. you. Um, yeah, it's it's <laughs> Michael Corleone coming to take revenge for the attempt on his father's life. And it's the, you know, I don't want to just come out of the, the bathroom with just my dick in my hand scene. And he's got the bruise and you hear the train in the background. And he finally gets up from the table and guns down McCluskey and Salazzo at the table. And it's, it's I mean, one of the best scenes in movie history. 
and that it occurs at this restaurant is so great. Like there's a there's a bottle of wine that like you can I can still hear like I can hear the old fashioned bottle opener. Like it's just it's it's so perfect to that scene. And they're they have the two Italian guys at the table. One is Italian and Turkish, but um, and then they've got the Irish guy. And the Irish guy just doesn't eat his pasta right. And it's like a really – it's supposed to be something. It's supposed to mean something to you as a viewer, and it does. Um, so that's that's just super plot important. It actually looks pretty good, but I wouldn't I wouldn't stump for that. One that um, I just uh, – I think we need to mention – I've never seen the movie, but I know it's important is the uh, – the I think it's the American or the American from Casablanca. It's the – of all the gin joints in the world, like you had to come to this one. It's It's the place where that whole movie happens – I haven't seen it, so I can't stump for it. But I would say, I think if you ask most people, that's like the one. Yeah. Um, but for that, I'm, I'm I'm not sure I'm serious about, but I want to mention from my own experience. So the Soup Nazis restaurant in Seinfeld is on the list of like the actual best restaurants. People lose their minds over how good the food is there. Uh, it seems like a very unpleasant dining experience. Yes. <laughs> and, well... Only if you don't play by the rules, but... Only if you try um, to steal money out of the tip jar. Yes, that is a problem. <laughs> um, their diner from Twin Peaks. Mm. So, I would put that on, like, sort of the diner the diner zone where... It's not that it's so good, although they do have damn good coffee. <laughs> it's just... It's just that, it, like, it's, it's so much a part of setting the vibe of that show is all the weird shit that happens there. Not to mention that Peggy Lipton, Rashida Jones's mom, is one of the waitresses there, which there's a lot of street cred. Yeah. Al Abbas from uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm is the Palestinian chicken place that I this has I think it has to be on the list. It's important in two ways. One, it has such good chicken that it almost is able to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. <laughs> it's so good that people who are staunchly anti-Palestinian will go there to eat because it's so delicious. <laughs> and it's also great as a plot point because it's a place where Jews go to have affairs because they know they won't be seen by other Jews <laughs> that they know. So this is where they go for the affairs. And this episode ends with Larry caught between his Jewish friends who are defending the, the sacred territory of Goldblatt's Delhi and the invading forces of al Abbas. And there's a woman, Shara, who he's had, who he slept with, who, cause she hates him so much cause he's Jewish. And he's caught between going to her and all of the worldly pleasures of being with Shara and then staying with his people. It's just, it's truly magnificent. And they, the way they describe the chicken is just so ridiculous. The last one, the, so the two I'm like really stumped for, I'd stumped for Alabas and Vesuvio from The Sopranos. So Vesuvio is um, Artie Bucco, who is a childhood friend of Tony Soprano, owns this restaurant. And it's like a neighborhood restaurant. And I, I just, I know the place. It's this place that's like not that fancy. The wall art is this like really tacky murals of Italy. And there's, there's just weird little Cupid statues all around. But the food is magnificent. Everybody knows everybody there. And um, Caroline and I were just watching the, the finale of season one occurs at Vesuvio. So it's really important plot wise to the show. But I also think it's some of the best looking food I've ever seen on TV. And it also feels so, so true to life 
for like you know the Italian diaspora. Like this is this is the way people eat food. So those those are the two I really want to stump for: Alabas and Vesuvio. Okay, I'll rattle off some honorables. One that I I want to get your opinion on if we need to be serious about because Ali just as I was walking in here to talk to you, she was like, "Well, if you're talking about restaurants, what about?" luke's diner from gilmore girls apparently they go there like every episode so yeah that's that's on the list okay that's 100 percent on the list uh and then the rest of these i I just want to say caroline's i think in the other room sorry caroline we fixed it yeah don't worry the rest of these i'm not serious about but i want to mention them all in rapid succession and say nothing else about them uh jurassic fork from parks and rec (laughs) that's a structural (laughs) t-rex uh the candy bar from jimmy neutron Oh, I forgot about that. Yep. Lard Lads Donuts from The Simpsons. Oh, Lard Lads. Also, it doesn't quite count, but the Quickie Mart like, is like mm-hmm. kind of restaurant adjacent. Hey, if you are uh, on the Springfield Police Force, you get most of your food there. That's true. And, and Squishies. Yep. Uh, this one, if it like, I don't think it quite counts, but if it did, it might be on the list. This is the Banana Stand from Arrested Development. I don't think it does. It's like too pop-up standy to like quite be a yeah. restaurant. Like the fact that there's only room for uh, maybe a George Michael to be in there at one time. To be very close. Yeah. <laughs> though, though, I don't know. We might be undermining ourselves because of El Jefe. I don't know. I, I think it just doesn't quite it's different Because it's, it's like snacky. Yeah, it's different. Um, Harryhausen's, which is the fancy sushi restaurant from Monsters, Inc., this one doesn't count because... I forgot about the... With the, with the uh, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, this one doesn't count because it's a real restaurant. Dancing Zorba's from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. That's a real restaurant? <laughs> yes, that's based off of a real life restaurant. I didn't know. Yeah. Otherwise, it'd be high. Yeah, absolutely. Dorcia, which is the super fancy restaurant from American Psycho that he can't get a reservation at. <laughs> I know. There's probably some people who would, like, be pretty pissed if that's not on the list. We can talk about it. And then the the Anxious Clown from Series of Unfortunate Events. <laughs> this one should have been... This one should have been on the Not Top 3, but it's a hilarious joke. It's not a good movie. Um, Central Intelligence with The Rock and Kevin Hart. And they go to, like, a work happy hour at this terrible restaurant called Senor O'Houlihan's, where they serve <laughs> margaritas and, like, stein glasses. It's really, oh, God. That made me laugh really hard, though. And then, like, the various diners in Tarantino movies, so, like, in Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. But that's it. So I think what we need to talk about are where we're going to put Alabas, Vesuvio, Luke's Diner, and maybe Dorcia. Wait, the Big Kahuna Burger is fictional, right? Oh, is that from Pulp Fiction? Yeah, this should be on the yep. list. Okay, yep. Because I'm looking now, it's it's the exact same one is in Death Proof, Pulp Fiction, okay. Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, All right, okay. so that's, that's like gotta be top high. five. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we need to get rid of most of these restaurants. <laughs> well, we can very easily dump, I think, Pizza Planet, Scoops Ahoy, Shaquie, after that, I'm less, like, willing to dump things willy-nilly. So here's the thing. We have got a lot of, like, this is the representative diner. That's true. Which is a little bit tough. So I think we should, I'm good to back off a little bit on Al Abbas, because that really does only show up, like, once. It's amazing. 
and it's an all time funny bit, but I think it's it doesn't quite fit the spirit of this list. All right. Yeah, that seems fair. And I think the American Psycho one should be a strong almost. Yeah, because do they even end up eating there? I don't even remember. Like the whole. I just remember it's such a big plot. Like it's such a big like he can't get in. I think that they do end up eating there and it's what kill. It's what makes him like lose his mind because fucking Patrick Bateman is the one that's able to get the reservation. Yeah. But that's like a number 11, we'll say. Yeah. Agreed. So that means we do have room for Vesuvio, Luke Steiner and the Big Kahuna Burger. So we just have Mm -hmm. to place those. So I think we do Big Kahuna at four. I think we keep our top three intact and move Big Kahuna to four. I think that's fair because the fact that it exists across several movies is huge, but our characters don't really spend any meaningful time there. It's more of like a background thing. Yeah, that is a tasty burger. Mm. You know why they call it a Royale cheese, Mike? (laughs) Why is that? It's because of the metric system. Ah. All right. So I think I would go then... Like, this is going to sound a little corny, but I, I kind of think we just stick the three on it, like the ones we just discussed, like four, five, six, and just sh- shade everything after that down a little. What do you think about that? I haven't, I don't know anything about Vesuvio or Luke Steiner, so I ch- completely trust your assessment. Like, if you think those are both more important than Poyos Hermanos, then I say, yes, let's just bump everything down. <clears throat> you know what? I go, I take it back. Let's go Luke's five. Poyos 6, Vesuvio 7. Okay. So that would put El He- or that would put Cafe Tropical and El Jefe in JJ's at 8, 9, 10. Yeah, I think that's the move. I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, Kyle, I'm getting that we got a list feeling. I'm getting that kind of feeling too, and I'm getting that I'm hungry feeling because we've been talking about a lot of good food. So You should get a ham burger. Ugh. Ugh. Hamburger. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant like literally ham. No, no. As long as there's no actual ham involved. No actual ham. Okay. Well, then I'll recap and we'll get the fuck out of here. So number 10 is JJ's Diner from Parks and Recreation, where the waffles are great. Number nine is El Jefe from Chef, where the Cubans are the the signature dish. Number eight is Cafe Tropical. They don't really have a signature dish, just they have signature menus and don't take the mozzarella sticks to go. Number seven is, is it the Vesuvio or just Vesuvio? Just Vesuvio. Vesuvio from The Sopranos. Number six is Los Poyos Hermanos from Baking, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Number five, Luke's Diner from Gilmore Girls, which apparently is frequented often by the titular uh, Gilmore Girls. Number four, the Big Kahuna Burger from the Tarantino-verse, where you'll probably want to get the Royale with cheese. Number three, the Krusty Krab from Spongebob, where the Krabby Patty is the best burger in all the land. Number two, the Leaky Cauldron from Harry Potter. Get whatever you want. Just don't Where's the, the Leaky suit. Cauldron? That's in London. Okay. Yeah. And uh, number one, of course, is Monk's Cafe from Seinfeld. Beautiful. I do actually just want to say, I just had a moment where I'm a little concerned we might be missing out on all of the many restaurants from The Office. Cooper's, Cugino's, uh, I think some of them are real. So I just want to, I just want to say, like, we didn't know if the offices ones were real. Also, like, most of the big office restaurant scenes happen at actual restaurants, like Hooters and Benihana. <laughs> yes. So, but just know we thought about it. Oh, the Benihana scene from, uh, what's that movie called? 
the den of thieves. <laughs> den of thieves. <laughs> and our families are here. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Okay. That's our list. That's the top ten list. Please tell us what we missed, because I'm sure we missed a thousand. We did. And uh, to wrap it all up, this is usually where I say thank you to my co-host, Michael. This is a lot of fun. Right after I thank Michael, I usually thank Kevin McLeod for our stanky, stanky not top three in intro musics. They are stankalicious. And then always third, I thank my sister Erin for our fantastic artwork. It's really, really good. If you want to see more of Erin's stuff, of course, the place to do that is on Instagram at Sant Design. That's the spot. And speaking of Instagram, a big shout out to our social media director, Caroline Labranti, my fiance. Mm-hmm. You can find her personal stuff cml.photos on instagram though she may be rebranding i heard this evening oh so, uh we'll keep you apprised of any rebranding there big news but you can see the stuff she does for us on our instagram at top 10 km with the 10 spelled out t-e-n check out our group on facebook same deal top 10 with the 10 spelled out t-e-n if you want to shoot us an email to tell us that we missed all of your favorite restaurants uh from the fictional world which we probably did you can send us an email at top10km at gmail.com. Once again, the 10 spelled out T-E-N. And finally, while I'm sure you're listening to us on some sort of podcast app, if you're looking for another one, we are on the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, pretty much wherever podcasts can be found. So, Kyle, that is everything I have to say this evening. Then we've said it all. Great work, Michael. Yep. Arrivederci. Peace.